0: Welcome to our Sunday morning praise and worship service. My name is Ronnie Coston, the Associate Pastor. Thank you for joining us for a time of celebration of praise and thanksgiving. In just a few moments, Pastor Dave McGee will bring the message for us today. Dogwood Baptist Church exists for the purpose of sharing the love of God to any and all. Our desire is that in our efforts to do this, we can in some way touch your life and help you find the joy of knowing and living in a loving relationship with Jesus. Please feel comfortable in knowing that we're always available to minister to you. It would be our pleasure to talk with you about any decision that God may be leading you to make. Now join us as we worship together and know that as God loves us, we love you. And may God bless you. and our needs, and our hurts, and our pain, and all the things that we bring here this morning. Father, we trust that You are meeting us here, that You hear us. Well, Lord, we know that from Your Word, and we know that, Father, You choose to give us good things. And Lord, we're asking that You would indeed answer these prayers. Father, help us to trust You more with every facet of our lives. And Lord, we pray now that as we look into Your Word, You would open it up for us, that we might glean something that we can apply to our lives and make us, Father, what You want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Why don't you all be seated. And let me make you a quick announcement right quick, okay? I forgot to say anything, but during our prayer time, if you noticed there's a lady standing here and a lady standing here, that's for the benefit of the women who may just want to pray with a gal. Uh, alone Um, we offer that each Sunday and we keep forgetting to announce that so so that you know in the future that if you have a special need you'd like to pray for somebody and you don't want to pray with me or Arnold or Ronnie or somebody you can come and pray with a lady and uh, feel free to do that take advantage of that if you will okay this past week, I got an email, and it was from the seminary that I graduated from, there in Dallas, and they were announcing the death of Dr. Pentecost. Dwight Pentecost died this past week at the age of 99. And I can remember when I first came to Dallas in 1981 and took his class. He was one, he was the best Bible teacher I think I've ever had, as far as being able to just take and open it up and explain it to you and. It was kind of odd because when I first came there, I didn't know him very well. And I'm a freshman now in the class, and there's some upperclassmen in there that had had him before. And he would, he would, you, if you ask a question during class, he would throw the question back at you in a different form. And then he would kind of turn and wink at somebody on the front row because, you know, that's just the games that he played with you. I'm thinking to myself, there is no way I'm ever asking this man a question in this class. I'll tell you right now. But if you're not familiar with him, he has some great books out. I know that John Billings is using some of his books now in the study of the life of Christ that he's doing in Sunday school. But I always appreciated uh, Dr. Pentecost and the things that he did. As I think about his life, as I sat there this week thinking, this is a life that was well spent. This was a life that was committed to two things that really stick out in my mind. He was committed to the Word of God, first and foremost. He loved to teach it. He loved to study it. He loved it. And he loved to to help you understand it. And the other thing that he was totally committed to were the students under his care. He cared about what you learned. He cared about your education. And not only that, but he cared about just people in general. (laughs) The guy had been a preacher at a church for years and ministered there while professor at the seminary. And um, just a a great guy who loved the Lord and he loved people. And when you think about it, isn't that really the two greatest commandments? When Jesus was asked, you know, Lord, what's the greatest commandment of all? And he said, well, here's the first one, that you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind and all of your soul, your whole being. And here's the second one. He said this similar to it. He said that you love your neighbor as yourself. And if you and I can capture that in our lives, if we could love the Lord and our faith would be so strong in him that we would just be drawn close to him all the days of our lives, and then if in turn we could love other people the way that he would want us to, if we could do that, then would our lives not have been, uh, have achieved something of greatness? And I, I really believe that. As we come now in our study to the end of Genesis, and yes, this is the end. This is not like one of those farewell tours that goes on forever. Okay, this is the end. Seventy messages in Genesis. I was talking to my mother this week. She was saying, what are you preaching on this week? I said, I'm I'm at the end of Genesis. It's been seventy sermons. And she said, ooh. (laughs) <laughs> thanks for that encouragement mom you know uh, it's like why it took you so long and I said well good grief it's got 50 chapters you know give me a break here uh, I'm sure some of you have been thinking the same thing Why's taking you so long but um, I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have been studying it and you know it, it has taken us from from creation in the beginning God created and you see him creating all of what exists today and now it ends up As we bring the book to a close, it ends up in the grave, in a coffin. And the last uh, sentence in the book of Genesis is this, talking about Joseph. He was placed in a coffin in Egypt. Now think about this, because basically this is the story of man. Creation and your life in between, and then you end up in the grave. That's true of every one of us. And unless the Lord comes back beforehand and takes us home, every person in here is going to end up in the grave. We all do. This is our fate. This is what has evolved or has happened because of the fall, what has come to pass. And that's, that's where we're all going to wind up. Now, here's the question that I have for you, and I want you to think about this, okay? I don't know where you are in your life, whether you're, you feel that you're near the end or whether you're just getting started. I, I doesn't, it doesn't matter. But as you look back over your life, let me ask you this question. Are you satisfied? Are you satisfied with what has happened in the person that you ha- have been and are now? Are you satisfied with that? And as you look back over your life, let me ask you as we go back then to that introduction, talking about Dr. Pentecost and the great commandment. Can you honestly say that I have spent my life in commitment and dedication to the Lord in some form or fashion? My faith has been strong. And can you say that I've also been committed to the well-being and the betterment of other people? That somehow I have enhanced their lives. Because as we look at this passage today and we talk about Joseph and his death and being put into the coffin and the end and all of that now, as we come to that point, we see the same thing in the life of Joseph. The same thing that I was talking about with Dr. Pentecost and what I saw in him, I see also in the life of Joseph and I see it. Elsewhere in the Bible, and I ask myself, is, am I satisfied with my life? Have I, have I been in my walk with the Lord what I ought to be? And have I been to other people what I ought to be? Could I sum my life up? Would anybody at my grave say, you have enhanced my life? You've made it better by knowing you. That's what I'm getting at here. Because as we look at they, uh, sorry, Joseph's life as it comes to an end, I think that this is something that comes out here. Now, the question that I have as I come to this end of the book of Genesis is why are we stopping here in the story? Why did Moses, as Moses wrote this along with the first five books of the Bible, um, why did he stop Genesis with the death of Joseph? And it seems to stop so abruptly. Uh, you're running along with the life of Joseph, and all of a sudden he dies, is in a coffin, and then that's it, Genesis finished. And you need to understand something, that it, it happened that way because the story as it is unfolding from creation to the coffin in the life of Joseph here at the end, he's telling you that, look, I've told you, as God has inspired me and led me to do, I've told you how everything was started. I've told you how God called Abraham and that family and began the nation of the Jewish people. You're going to learn in time, he says, basically how important that was. But it ends now with Joseph because the Jews are now in Egypt. And that's where God leaves them for 400 years. And at the end of that 400 years is when Moses comes on the scene. Moses is born and Moses leads them out in the Exodus. And Moses records for us now Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Now here's what's interesting. The first book, Genesis, covers from the creation several thousand years of recorded history and ends with Joseph. And Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy span a time of only 40 years. When Exodus opens up, it gives us the story of Moses and tells us a little bit about what has transpired. But then it goes right into the Exodus and the giving of the law and what the Jews did and how they were formed and all these things. And it all takes place during that 40 years of wandering in the desert. And Moses records that as the God has led him to do, and he dies without ever entering into the land of promise, and Joshua comes on the scene and takes them in. But the book of Genesis did what it was supposed to do. It, it is the record of how the Jews came to be in Egypt, and the story will pick up again with Moses. And that's the way God designed it, to inform them especially, but you and me too, of how it all began and how it all unfolded. So it's been a great study. And this is why it ends abruptly there in Egypt with the Jews being there. Now, as I look at Joseph, like I said before, the same two things come out at the end of his life as being important to him. His faith and other people. And as we look at this, I want you to see this. Now, let's, we're not going to look at a lot of Scripture today, but I am going to look at this closing passage in Genesis, chapter 50, verses 22 through 26. So let me get into this, okay? It says that Joseph stayed in Egypt along with all of his father's family. He lived 110 years and saw the third generation of Ephraim's children, also the children of Machir, son of Manasseh, were placed at birth on Joseph's knees. Now, here's what I'm looking at here. I'm looking at a man who at the end of the life that he's lived, the things that are recorded about him is that he lived 110 years. That means he lived 93 years in Egypt. And what is recorded about him, that at the end of his life, he is playing with his great-great-grandchildren, having input into their lives. It says that his great-grandchildren, when they are born, they are placed on his knees. He is present at their birth. This is a man who has, is involved with his family. This is a man who cares. His family is important to him. He's involved in the lives of these people. Now, I'm going to move quickly, but let's look and see what, happens, what else it says here in the remaining verses. In verse 24 it says, Then Joseph said to his brothers, I am about to die, but God will surely come to your aid and take you out, up out of this land to the land he promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And Joseph made the Israelites swear an oath and said, God will surely come to your aid, and then you must carry my bones up from this place. So Joseph died at the age of 110, and after they embalmed him, they placed him in a coffin in Egypt. And that's all is said. But here's what I want you to see. Because not only is he involved very intricately with the family that he had and cared about them deeply, Here's a man who dies with great faith because he's saying to the Jews, these these brothers and so forth, he says, pass this word on. I don't know when God's going to do it, but I know that he's going to do it. He's going to come to your aid. Now, that tells you something right there, that he knew something was coming. He knew that somewhere down the line, they would be turned into slaves in Egypt. Now, either God revealed it to him or his dad told him. We don't know. But he knows that. He says and at some point, God's going to come to your aid. And when that happens, I want you to swear an oath to me right now that you are going to take my coffin out of Egypt. You're going to carry my bones into the promised land and you're going to bury me in the land that God promised Abraham to give to them. Because that's where my faith is. Now let me tell you something. This guy believed that so strongly. That he he made them swear that, it would, that they would do it when it happened. I know it's going to happen. I believe it's going to happen. And I want you to swear to me you'll take me out of here when it does happen. And they did. It was 400 years later, but they did. Now, folks, as you think about this, I want you to focus in on these two things. The same thing that I talked about with Dr. Pentecost. The same thing that I've challenged you with. And the same thing we see in the life of Joseph. That when it comes to the end, you look back over your life. And all, all, the only thing that matters are two things. Your walk with God, the faith that you have, and the people whose lives you've touched. Here's a man that was second most powerful man in all of the known world. There's no mention of his position. There's no mention of his job. There's no mention of any of the things that he accomplished in life. All that is talked about and recorded is that he was intricately involved with his family all the way down to his great-grandchildren. And he died with his faith intact because he made them swear that when this thing happens, that God has promised that you take me with you and get me out of here because I want to go back to the promised land. Now, you're looking at two things. His faith in God and his devotion and commitment to other people. And this is my challenge to you and me today as we talk about this and bring this to a close. Let's deal with the first one, and that is the lives that you touch along the way in your life and how important that is. And folks, some of the things I'm going to share with you, I've talked to you about before. It's a repeat of some things that I've shared with you, but you know what? That's good because things need to be repeated. This is important. And this is something that we need to be aware of. Would anyone say, when it comes to the end of your life, that that person, you, has enriched me? They have made my life better because of knowing them. Now, I believe that for most all of us, that would be true. I would hope so anyway. Let's talk first of all about the family, because this is what Joseph was so involved in, his family, and the importance of our family. You know something, kids grow up fast. I never realized it until mine were out of the house, and it's like, where did the years go? And before you know it, all the things that you talked about, one day I'm going to do, one day I'm going to spend more time with them, one day we'll go here, one day we'll do this together. And all of a sudden, one day has come and gone, and you never did what you wanted to do with them. And it's to the point now they're at the age that they don't really want to do those things anymore. And folks, we all as parents are guilty of this. We let the years go by, and what we intended to do, we didn't, and all we have is missed opportunities. How often do you talk to them? You know what impresses me about this story about Joseph? It talks about now the second in command in Egypt, the second most powerful man in the world. At the birth of his great-grandchildren, they laid the newborn baby on his lap. He's there. He was involved. How often do you talk to your kids or your grandkids? And if you live long enough to see your great grandkids, God bless you. But how involved are you in their lives? You know, I've told you before, but as I grew up, I can remember. And there are things that stick out in my mind from my childhood. And one of the things that sticks out to me as one of the most important things in my childhood was the time that not only mom and dad, but aunts and uncles, that we spent talking. Now, we only had two or three channels on TV. You've got to understand, there wasn't a whole lot to distract us. But man, I can remember. I can remember. This is My mother had a big family. There were probably four or five of her brothers and sisters and so forth. And man, they'd come over to the house, we'd sit out in the backyard and the kids were with the adults. And we just talked or mostly we listened. But when we interjected something as kids, we were listened to. They never told us, hey, get away, go back and play in your bedroom. They never said that. And we sat there with them, and I can remember they would start a fire when it got dark, and they would all just continue to sit out there in the yard and talk. Man, they'd talk about their politics. They'd argue religion. They'd argue this, and they would talk about their dreams. They'd talk about their failures. And they were blunt and honest. And we would ask a question every now and then, and they would answer us respectfully because they cared. And I can remember, I can remember the most favorite parts of all was when they told us about their childhood. And I can remember my parents talking about the Great Depression. And what it was like for them as children during the Great Depression. And how tight things were. and, And had the soup lines and the horrible experiences of life. I can remember them telling me about World War II. And what it was like to live during that time. My dad tried to get into the service at the age of 16. They wouldn't let him in. He tried to lie his way in. They wouldn't let him in. But I can remember. I can remember them talking about rationing. You had to have a stamp to get gasoline. didn't matter if you had the money. You had to have permission because it was rationed. I can remember them talking about not having enough Stamps or whatever it took to buy shoes or or whatever. Everything was rationed, And they would sit at home at night and listen to this old box radio of what was happening overseas. And how afraid they were. Scared to death that somebody was going to invade the United States. I learned about their hopes. I learned about their their dreams. I learned about their fears. Let me tell you something. As you and I think about that, how often do you sit down with your kids or your grandkids and you let them see who you are? You tell them about you. You're you're influencing their life. I've done several funerals where this has happened. I always like to meet with the family after the death and... I'll gather as many of them together as I can because I just want them to talk. And I'll take notes. Tell me about the deceased. Tell me about your dad that passed away. And the wife will be there and the kids and maybe a couple of grandkids. And they'll just talk and I'll just write things down. And it never fails. The mother will begin to share things about the father that's passed away. And one of the adult children will say, Mother, I never knew that. You never told me that. He, had, he won that kind of an award. I never heard that. He was this person when he was young. You never told me that. And the question is, why not? Because we never talk. What about activities? Just spending time together. Man, I can remember as a kid, my dad taking me out in the backyard and we would for hours throw the ball together. For hours we would do something. My dad would get off of work. He went to work early. got off around 2 o'clock in the day, so he had the afternoon. And he was always home. And we would always do something together. Not just me, but all the kids. And it might be a sporting event or something we would do. It might be playing a game. I can remember all of us, when snow days hit in Charlotte, North Carolina, they didn't have trucks or plows or salt. You just waited it out. You know, if there's ice on the road, you just hope the 18 wheelers can get through and make a path so you can get through. But when that happened, school shut down and most jobs shut down. And we'd stay home and play canasta and drink hot chocolate. And we had a blast. I can remember my mother laughing so hard that she couldn't hardly breathe, just laughing at things that we did and and having fun together. That's what I'm talking about. You know, what do your kids like to do? What do your grandkids enjoy? Do you have grandkids that like to go fishing or hunting or go to the American Girl Doll store or, you know, play golf? Whatever. What are they like? And why aren't you spending time with them? Because when you come to the end of your life, they're not going to be talking about your job and how much you did or what you accomplished. They don't even care about how much money you got in the bank. The things that matter... Is first of all, the time you spent with me and how much you influenced me. That's important. And That matters. Folks, I've got to tell you something. We're going to come to the end of our lives and look back, and that's not going to be the case. You know, one of the things that keeps us from doing that, one of the things that breaks, would harm the communication and the talking is all of the technology. There's nothing we can do about it. You know, we live in a digital age. I have two grandkids, uh, Hunter and Ashley. Hunter's 14, Ashley's 12. A year or so ago, you know, they were getting to the age now where they're going off with their friends. Hunter and, a, and one of his buddies were going down to a pond and going fishing, and thing they weren't with mom and dad all the time. So Brian decided it's time to buy them a phone. He wanted to keep up with them. So he buys them a cell phone, a really nice one, you know, iPhone, something, I don't know. I got something, uh, Samsung, the newest thing on the market, and I have to get Hunter to show me how to use it. But anyway, they'll come over to my house, and they'll come in, whereas we used to go out and do things together, they'll come in and sit down on the couch, and I'll say, okay, guys, what have you been up to? And they are punching on the telephone. They're playing games on the phone. And they're saying, oh, nothing, you know, I said, well, how's school? Well, it's all right. Ashley especially. Ashley, what's going on with you? You know, nothing. And finally, I get so frustrated. I say, listen, talk to me. She says, I don't have anything to say. I say, make something up. (laughs) Tell me a lie. At least we're talking. Well, she thinks that's cute. So she makes up this outlandish story. And I'll play along. We'll pretend like it's real. And pretty soon she busts out laughing, thinking how stupid this is. But you know what? We're talking. And I'll get her to put the phone up and get over there and let's talk about something. Look, when it comes to the end of your life, nothing else matters. They want to know, how did you change me? How did you help me? And for you, I'm going to tell you something. If all you can look at is accolades from your job and the accomplishments and the money in the bank, they don't care. They care about the times you sat out in the backyard and talked or played ball or did something of value that mattered. And so when it comes to the end, what really matters? That's one of the things that matters. But folks, it's not just family. If we could broaden this out for just a moment, okay? Let me broaden this out. The influence that you have on other people in general. Let me show you this passage of scripture. It says 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Now watch this, okay? Paul's talking, he's writing to the Corinthians, and here's what he says. He says, But thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives. "...in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of Him everywhere. For we are, to God, the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing." Let me explain this passage to you, okay? What he's looking at is something that they knew very well. It was the Roman processional through Rome. Everybody knew about how this worked. The conquering emperor will be on a white horse leading the slaves that he captured through the streets of Rome. And they're cheering and throwing wreaths and all of this. The slaves stunk so bad that they would have to send people in the front and down the sides with these things with incense burning in them. The incense would go through the crowd. and would be a sweet smelling aroma. So every time there's a processional, there's this sweet smell in the air. Everybody's cheering. It's wonderful. And he leads them down through the, the middle of, of the city of Rome. And what Paul is getting at, he's saying, listen, he says, the Lord Jesus conquered you too. When you put your faith in him and realize that you were doomed without him, he laid claim to you. You are his slave, the Bible says. You're his servant. When you put your faith in him, you become that. And not only this, but here's what he says. He says he leads you in the processional, the triumphant processional out into the world so that you can be the sweet aroma to other people. These are the lives that you affect, folks. He says to the saved, you're the sweet aroma and to the lost, you're the sweet aroma. Everybody. Everybody. Guys, let me tell you something. All through the Bible, we are told in Scripture that we are supposed to be influencing people's lives. Be it family or those outside the family. Whether it's in school, at work, whatever it may be. Who do you ever share your faith with? Who do you ever care about? Who do you ever reach out to? Who do you ever give assistance to? Who do you help that just needs a little helping hand? Who do you listen to and give counsel to? Who do you pray with? All of these things are ways in which we enrich other people's lives. You know, I look at the folks that are in this church. And some of you have been working in children's ministry and youth ministry for, it seems like, forever. And I'll bet you there's been times where you've questioned that. You think to yourself, am I doing anybody any good? Do I ever see any change? Let me tell you something. When you get to the end of your life, and you look back and you think to yourself, did I make any difference at all? There will be people who are saying, if not to your face... To other people in your family or whatever, they'll say, That person influenced me in ways I can never imagine. There are people that teach in this church. There are people that help out in the nursery. There are people that do all of the things that we have going on in this church. There are people who just listen and care. There are people who, when they hear you have a need, they jump out there with the checkbook and help or go help you physically. There are people like that in this church. And it doesn't matter if believer or unbeliever, you are a sweet-smelling aroma of the knowledge of who God is to people that don't know or are just down and have forgotten. And when you get to the end of your life, that's what will matter. That's what counts. And we don't see that because we're so busy doing other things that we don't see the value of it. But we have to change. Because I can tell you from Scripture and from experience that in the end, when it's all said and done, it's the lives that you've impacted that's really going to count. But here's one other thing real quickly. And that is the second part of this. When you get to the end of your life, the lives influencing loving your neighbor, but the relationship with the Lord. The faith that you're willing to die with. Is what matters when the end comes. And what I'm talking about is this. Joseph had such a faith that when it came time to die, he said, I am so absolutely sure of what God has promised that I want you to swear to me that you'll take me out of here when it happens. Now, that's faith. That was a faith that he was, was literally able to die with. To lay down and rest knowing of what's coming. Now, folks, listen to me. Everyone has some kind of faith. Everybody does. It may be that your faith is in the human spirit, in man's ability to make life better. It may be that your faith is in some cult like Scientology. It makes you feel better. Gives you hope. Jehovah's Witness or Mormon or some other cult it may be that your faith is in some liberal theology that doesn't have the guts to acknowledge the truth of Scripture. But it makes you feel better. Everybody has faith in something. But the question is this. Look, we're not talking about do you have a faith that makes you feel good that you can live with. The real rubber meets the road when it comes time to die. Are you willing to die with what you believe? That's what matters. When everything else is said and done, that's the question. Am I willing to die with that belief? When I was in Florida, this was back in 1974. We went to Florida to go to Bible college and came out to Dallas in 81. But I'm, you know, 20s. I'm just a young guy. I go to there and I take a class in uh, personal evangelism. And I think I may have told you this story before, but they send you out like on a Saturday as part of the class, but it's like the practical side of it. It counts for grade. So you have to do it, and you're scared to death to do it. But we're in a community there in South Florida that is predominant. And when I say predominantly, I say like 95 percent, either Catholic or Jewish. One of the two. There's hardly anybody else outside of that. So when you go knock on a door, and this is what they send you out to do, they'll say, team up with somebody, and here's your, your guy that's in charge of this. And he'll send you down this street and somebody, the other pair down this street. And you take a survey, and you go knock on doors, and you try to get people to talk about their faith, find out where they are. And it's a double-edged sword. In other words, you want the person to come to Christ. That's your number one goal. But it's also to practice, too, because you need to learn how to do it. This is school, you see. So we go and we practice that. And we go knock on doors and people, especially the Jewish people, just cut you right off at the knees. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to talk about it. Just leave me alone. Don't even open the door. The Catholics would do that for the most part, but there were always a few that would at least talk to you. And it seemed like the Catholics were so much friendlier than the Jews. The Jews just, you know, they had a scowl on their face and didn't want to talk. Um, But the Catholics were friendly. I remember this one woman. I've never forgotten this. We go up to the door and we, me and this other gal, and we introduce ourselves and tell them what we're doing and ask if we can talk to her for a few minutes. And she opens the door, comes out on the porch and says, well, sure, we can talk. And so we start to talk and she's so friendly and so bubbly and talkative. And we start talking about faith and what the Bible says and how, you know, questions that you ask, you know. Well, if you were to die, what would happen to you? What do you believe? This, that, and the other. And she kept saying this. She kept saying, well, I can't believe that because I'm Catholic. I don't believe that because I'm Catholic. Now, what you believe is good for you. That's okay. If it makes you feel better, that's okay. But what I believe is this, this, and this because I'm Catholic. And she hardly knew what she even believed. But as we talked, it's like I have my faith, my Catholic faith, and I believe when I die, I was asking her about salvation, so I'm going to purgatory. You just say that so easily. I mean, does that not bother you? And I'm, I says, well, I'm Catholic. This is what we believe. I'm going to purgatory, and hopefully after so many years, I'll have paid for my sins. Oh, man. But you've got to understand, I find comfort in my faith. So finally, toward the end, we, we've got to move on and... I asked her, I said, let me ask you this question. Are you willing to die with that faith? And she didn't know how to respond to that. And I followed up. I said, look, I said, do you have the assurance that you're going to be forgiven? Do you have the assurance that there's going to be heaven in, in, in somewhere down the road for you? She kind of backpedaled and she made up an excuse and, you know, didn't want to talk about it. I've got my faith. You know, there may be somebody in here today that They got their faith. They believe what they believe. That's what they've been told all their lives. And I'm comfortable with it. I really get mad when you try to challenge me with it. I, 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 I know what I believe. But the bottom line is this. When it comes time, are you near that point in death? Are you willing to die with what you believe? Because I can tell you right now, if all you have is a religious belief, then one's as good as the other. It doesn't really matter. And if that's all you want, then just pick one that makes you feel good. But if you want to know what the Bible says, then you need to look and see and search, and you need to understand that Jesus died for you, and that God says you can have assurance, that you can have eternal life, that you can. Joseph knew that. Joseph said, I'm so sure of it. Take me back there when the time comes. I'm going back to the promised land. Some of you don't have that assurance. And I'm telling you that when it comes to the end of your life, these two things are all that matters. My absolute certainty, my faith in God and what He has said to me. That I know what I know. And I have the utmost confidence that when I pass from this life, I will be with him, as the Bible said. If you don't know that for sure, then don't face death without it. But the other thing that's going to matter during that time is to be able to look back and see lives of people that you've influenced and people that you've helped along the way. That's all that matters. Nobody cares about anything else. It all looks good and sounds good at your funeral. But really the only thing God cares about are the people whose lives you've touched and your faith in Him. You know, if there's one of you here this morning who doesn't at least know where they're going when they die, then let me just take a minute and tell you that God loves you no matter how big a sinner you are. No matter what you've done, how horrible you've been, it does not matter. Because God says, I'll send my son. He'll die on the cross. He will take all of your sins upon himself. The guilt of everything you've ever done or ever will do, he'll pay for. And I'll turn to you and I'll say, do you believe that or not? Will you trust in that payment that I made with my son? Do you think that's enough to save you? Because I'm telling you it is, but do you believe it? Okay. I'll take you at your word. I will believe that this is true. And I will trust in that sacrifice. Trust in that payment to save me. And God said, then you have eternal life. For God so loved the world, that's you. That he gave his one and his only son. That whosoever believes in him, that's you, will not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's promise. Joseph said, as I go to my grave, I'll believe in the promise that God has made. Will you? Will you? Let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. If you're here this morning and you have never put your faith in Christ, then settle that here and now. Don't go to that time in life where the end is near, assuming you have the opportunity. And look back or or look forward and say, you know what, I'm not sure. Do I have a faith that I'm willing to die with or not? Settle this issue now. Right there where you sit, just put your faith in Jesus Christ. God says, I love you. Believe that. God says, I sent the payment for you. Believe that. He suffered. He died in your place. Believe that. And I give you eternal life as a gift. Believe it. That's faith. For all of us, folks, don't forget... And what's going to matter in that day and age and when that time comes is the, are the people whose lives you've influenced along the way. Don't get so busy doing your own thing and collecting the, the luxuries and the resources and the riches of this world that you don't have the time or care about other people. Because when they lay you down in the grave, it will not matter how much you've accumulated. Our Heavenly Father, as we bow here before you, Father, I pray that if there's one here that does not know you as their Savior, that right now they're just turning to you in faith, a simple childlike faith, and they're putting their faith in you and trusting you. Father, for all of us, I pray that you would challenge us. That, Father, we would reach out to people, we would get involved in their lives, we'll take time for people, we'll put people first. In the Lord, our lives can change. Help us to be that kind of a church, that kind of a believer. And Father, I pray for each one of us that when it comes down to the end and our days are drawing near, Father, we can look back with confidence in these two things. My faith in You is anchored. It is secure. And Father, the lives that I've touched are my testimony of my love for people. Father, may that be the case. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.